The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sowing the seeds of cannabis and sounding the praise of our favorite plants, it's time to Hemp Present. Our radio resident Hempo Sapien, Vivian McPeak, will present a weekly platform for guests and listeners to Hemp Present about hemp and cannabis from the legal, activist, and reformist route. Let's round up and roll it up for our headmaster of hemp, Vivian McPeak. Welcome to Hemp Present, the weekly radio show where you can get your PhD in THC because you don't just want to burn it, you want to learn it. Seeking to defeat prohibition one interview at a time and advocating for the plant, the whole plant, and nothing but the plant. Join me for a weekly reefer radio rebellion against prohibition as I speak with some of the principal risk takers, movers, and shakers, and history makers of the cannabis industry, culture, and reform movement. I'm your host, Vivian McPeak. I am the executive director of the world's largest annual cannabis policy reform event, the Seattle Hemp Fest, entering its 25th year, found at hempfest.org. I'm also the author of the book Protestable, a 20-year retrospective of Seattle Hemp Fest from AHA Publishing. Transmitting from a fortified bunker under a ramshackle radio warren at an undisclosed location deep within the rumbling bowels of underground Seattle, my goal is to spread the green flame of 420 truth in 30-minute increments. Today's guest on Hemp Present is seasoned Oakland, California-based cannabis activist, organizer, and entrepreneur Debbie Goldsberry, who will join me in just a few minutes. But first, for the lion's share of my semi-charmed life, the United States government's been waging what could only be characterized as a domestic war against targeted Americans, including levels of surveillance and other technologies formerly reserved for urban combat operations. Infrared night goggle vision, SWAT-style no-knock forced entries, jackboot helicopter paratroopers dropping down on ladders, and other forms of paramilitary policing and surveillance have all been regularly employed against Americans in the so-called war on drugs. The United States Constitution forbids the use of of military resources within Americans' borders against American citizens, but Congress made an exception to that rule, allowing the U.S. military to use its resources on American soil in the act of drug interdiction efforts. So, the term drug war is a literal domestic application of the phrase. In contrast to the messaging and marketing of the drug war, the vast majority of the $500 per second and total of $1 trillion that's being spent on the drug war has been largely allocated to identifying, arresting, and prosecuting those involved in cannabis, hemp, production, use, and delivery. In 1980, the United States had 50,000 people behind bars for drug law violations. Now we have more than half a million. 
and it's not just dealers and growers who've been targeted for incarceration. According to the FBI's annual Uniform Crime Reports, of the 1,552,432 arrests for drug law violations in 2012, 82% of those, or 1,276,000, were for mere possession of a controlled substance. Only 17%, or 276,000, were for the sale or manufacturing of a drug. Further, nearly half of drug arrests in 2012, or 48%, were for marijuana, a total of 749,000. Of those arrests, an estimated 42% or 650,000 were for marijuana possession alone. Finally, after so much misery and suffering, persecution and incarceration, and after many thousands of families have been totally disrupted, needlessly violated, and for many, irrevocably shattered, everything appears to be on the verge of a quantum shift in awareness and ultimately in public policy as it relates to pot. Today, 23 states in the District of Columbia have legalized cannabis to some degree. New polls by Gallup, Beyond the Beltway, and General Social Survey all show that for the first time since its prohibition, a majority of Americans support the legalization of the plant. Chief CNN medical correspondent Sanjay Gupta has produced three specials on the globally viewed cable news network, practically extolling the virtues of the illicit and nefarious herb, with his last special calling for an all-out marijuana revolution. Gupta even goes as far as challenging the government's authenticity and truthfulness when it comes to the science of medical cannabis. And Republican Congressman Dana Rohrabacher and Republican Libertarian Senator Rand Paul have both authored bipartisan federal bills seeking to protect marijuana systems in states that have legalized them from government intervention. And recent federal rulings have bolstered those efforts. And my guest today just might have some cogent observations about these particular developments. Debbie Goldsberry co-founded the Berkeley Patients Group in 2000. She went on to direct the organization for 11 years as it became one of the most successful dispensaries in Northern California. She then co-founded Communicare Centers, a collective dedicated to standardized cannabis medicines. In addition to her work with dispensaries, Goldsberry has a long history of involvement with cannabis policy movements, also co-founding not only Americans for Safe Access, but also both the Medical Cannabis Safety Council and the Cannabis Action Network, which ultimately went on to influence the creation of Students for Sensible Drug Policy and the Marijuana Policy Project. Goldsberry volunteers with the Normal Women's Alliance and formerly served as a Marijuana Policy Project board member. She has been twice named the High Times Freedom Fighter of the Month. I didn't even know you could do that. And she received the Freedom Fighter of the Year Award for 2011 to 2012, as well as the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, Paula Sabine Award for Women in Leadership in 2005. She's been many times a featured speaker at the Seattle Hemp Fest. I'm honored to have her here with me today. Debbie Goldsberry, how you doing? What's shaking, sister? Wow. Hey, Vivian. Doing really good. I'm sitting here in the middle of uh, the Bay Area here and at Rosenthal's Garden of all places. You know, the guru of ganja nice. down here in Oakland right by me. So, yeah, good times. Excellent. Well, your introduction almost took half of my interview. <laughs> I love it. I think I can just sort of like hang out here now and let you do the talking. I appreciate it, by the way. Very nice. Well, thanks for being on Him Present here, my fellow High Times Freedom Fighter of the Year. I don't get to say that Ooh. very often. I was able to say that only once so far to Rick Simpson, who I just had on here. Debbie, you're an original dankster. You've been an, an integral driving force in both the reform movement in California as well as the national movement for well over 25 years. What's your feel for where things are at right now? I mean, it feels like the entire ice shelf of prohibition is starting to break loose and could slide into the ocean sometime soon. Do you agree? Well, I like the way you say that, the ice, the ice shelf, because it sounds dangerous too, right? Something could go wrong. Somebody <laughs> oh, could yes, get hurt. Yes. Things are in chaos. That's right. Get out of the so, way. 
yeah, it's going to be great to see prohibition go away. Now, can we preserve the core values that we started with? You know, because we all got involved in this movement to end cannabis prohibition, not just because we like to use cannabis, but because, you know, we wanted to end the war on drugs. Obviously, at the, when you and I both got involved, it was the height of the drug war. And police were taking our friends to jail left and right, trying to arrest us, take us down on the streets. You could barely walk down the streets without being harassed by the cops, who, by the way, at that time had the right to take one look at us, decide if we were drug users, and search us on the streets for drugs. It was insane. But we also got involved because we wanted to make America a better place. And we knew when we used cannabis, well, frankly, we were just nicer people. We developed a community. We shared. We tolerated each other. So I'm hoping at the end of this all that we're still going to make a better America by ending cannabis prohibition. Let's not just end prohibition. Let's make this place a better place to live. Let's be more tolerant. Let's share more. Let's be nicer to each other. I agree a thousand percent. Through both of us, through our advocacy work, we've both witnessed so much injustice and human suffering, families broken apart, marriages destroyed, careers ruined, so many people of color incarcerated. How does it make you feel inside, Debbie, personally, to see things like the release of Jeff Mazansky and George Martirano, who are both serving life sentences. You deserve a lot of credit for this along with your colleagues. But, I mean, after so much struggle, it's, it's actually happening. How does that make you feel? I know. I feel happy for the people that are being affected positively. And we do see a lot of reform happening with, you know, just I think it is even today that 6,000 prisoners are being let out, um, many of whom are locked up for minor drug crimes. And we see, we know right now that even today with prohibition ending, just about once every minute, somebody's being arrested for simple possession of cannabis. So again, it makes me nervous. I'm optimistic that we're headed in the right direction, but we can't get complacent and think that we've won the war on drugs. The only way we're going to win is if we keep working very hard to make sure that people don't get arrested for using cannabis, that safe cannabis is available to people, that we can make jobs and careers as we end cannabis prohibition, we make America a better place. So when I see stuff like that happening, I think the only thing that makes me think is our work is far from over. And you'll probably, you, you probably know about this as well as I do. When we legalized medical marijuana here in California about 20 years ago, 19 years ago, the cops didn't agree with the voters. We passed the law, but it took us years. Even till now, the police are still arresting people for simple possession of cannabis, even medical cannabis. So right. we've got a lot of work ahead of us. We can't get complacent, and I think we're going to probably have to work twice as hard to get, get the job done. Yeah, the, the heavy lifting still down the road, and so it's easy to get starry-eyed, especially, I mean, I'm in, especially where we live, right? A lot of people think that, you know, what's the problem? We won. But that's because, right. they're, that's because they're living in a little slice of paradise. Um, that's right. That's right. Pro- we traveled over to, El- uh, to Illinois recently, where I'm helping to open the first dispensary there. People have never laid their eyes on marijuana yet, and they're terrified that cannabis is still some kind of a... I don't know, devil's weed that might make them crazy if they try it just once for cannabis, you know, just for medical purposes. So we have to do a lot of hand-holding, I think, in one-to-one communication to just get rid of the stigma around cannabis, medical or otherwise. Absolutely. Debbie, the prohibition movement in the United States has taken some criticism from being what some would characterize as a testosterone-driven movement governed mostly by men. Is that true? And if so, is that changing? Well, I don't know. I don't think it's true. I mean, it's a very diverse social movement. I think, you know, in the height of prohibition back in the 90s, even in the late 80s, I mean, even now we see that the women are laying low. I mean, I'm a mother. I was terrified for every... I was working at Berkeley Patients Group and we were sort of going against the federal government, always warring with the DEA. 
I was terrified they were going to take my child and I had to coach myself internally every day and kind of have, I had to go through a balance every day. I have to fight prohibition because it's evil. It's against the constitution. It's harming America, but I have to protect my child from being taken away from me from my political views. I will very careful dance and I really had to make a conscious decision to say, when I'm this scared and when democracy is gone this far awry, when my constitutional rights are so damaged that I have to be afraid that for voicing my political opinion, they could take my child or for selling medical marijuana legally where it's licensed and permitted by the state and city, they could take my child. That's when I had to say, look, this is when you really have to step up because something's gone awry. And if the people who aren't either brave or maybe insane enough to step up, don't step up, you know, democracy is being shattered right in front of us. So we always so it's, so it's a little decision. bit more complicated and nuanced than, than those generalizations. Exactly. It's very complicated. So what I would say is that, yeah, maybe we didn't see as many women involved back in the 90s. Even today, you know, we need to make sure that we make a place for people who have families, regardless of if they're men and women. We need to make safe havens for people with families so we can keep families together. You know, a lot of my friends have been delayed having children. They looked at the war on drugs and said, you know, if I want to fight the war on drugs, can I even be a parent? What a heavy decision to have to make. And so, you know, yeah, I don't think it it goes cut and dry. There are an enormous amount of women warriors that are fighting this um, this epic battle to end prohibition and in leadership roles. So, uh, yeah, you know, I think like everyone in America over the course of the years since, you know, since the 70s, there's been a number of epiphanies on equal rights and women's rights um, and gender issues. And I'm sure that the cannabis movement, every movement, has gone through the ringer trying to figure out how to do the right thing to be better, kinder, nicer, more tolerant people. But I think I'm- that it... That we're, we do an excellent job of um, managing these issues. I'm talking to Debbie Goldsberry on Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio. We're going to take a quick pause for the cause because there's flaws and laws, and we'll be right back with more from Debbie Goldsberry. Time to roll out for the people that let us Hemp Present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R. That's Karcher Insurance. We have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years. We're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis plans for owners just like you to insure your product, your plants, and your pursuits. K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R spells out their full-service insurance services, ranging from commercial to bonds, to personal, from life to health, and more. Contact the team at CarcherInsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R Insurance.com. Contact Karen and the team at Karcher Insurance at 1-844-421-3560. That's 844-421-3560. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on mjwellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out mjwellness.com today. Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. Cannabis is just one of the many great plants that we have on this planet called Earth that we can use consciously and intelligently. 
to improve our well-being. Take a real, raw, inside look at healthier living while sharing great ideas and improvements for a better quality of life. Learning to live and live well is a lifelong process. This is a journey. It could be you could be 80 years old or 8 years old. You can still learn something that's going to make tomorrow a little bit healthier, a little bit easier, a little bit happier, a little bit better. The Concierge for Better Living with Doc Rob. Only on CannabisRadio.com. We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. And we are back on Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio with Debbie Goldsberry. Debbie, I want to dig into your rich history with various seminal reform organizations, but before we go there, what are you involved in today that you're most excited to talk about? Well, it's a number of different projects here in the Bay Area. We are getting ready for the International Cannabis Business Conference in San Francisco. It's happening September 13th and 14th. And I'm the program director, so we're trying to bring the best and the brightest of the industry to San Francisco to educate the masses, to get media, and just to help kickstart the real effort to legalize cannabis in 2016. So very excited about that. And I'm working with Magnolia Wellness Collective of Oakland, medical marijuana dispensary here as their ambassador, letting people know about the programs, getting people in the door, providing the best cannabis possible in the Bay Area at actually the lowest prices and with the nicest people. It's amazing to me how often people comment about Magnolia as if it's exceptional that we have nice people working there, but we have the nicest people. So when people come in, they're, very, they're extremely happy when they, when they arrive and when they leave. Well, anybody that's worked with HempFest knows that's very important to me, to have your people be nice. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's what life's about. Yes. The longest running and arguably the most respected cannabis dispensary, the Berkeley's Patients Group, was in the news recently, Debbie, because the federal government has been targeting the facility and trying to seize the property as, as part of what's being called a broad crackdown on state legal cannabis businesses. But a recent decision by U.S. District Judge Charles Breyer saying that congressional action prohibits federal drug enforcers from shutting medical marijuana dispensaries that comply with state law may throw a wrench in the government's pursuits against BPG if upheld on appeal. You co-founded the Berkeley's Patients Group 15 years ago. Oh, wow, big stuff. Uh, have any comments on this? Yeah, well, I really like Judge Breyer, federal Judge Breyer here in the Ninth District. He has always been great on issues when it comes to the issues of the war on drugs. And he was one of the first judges. Actually, he was the first judge to buck the mandatory minimum sentences, if you remember way back when. He yeah. refused to charge this young guy with a huge, obnoxious sentence for possession of LSD, charge him what a judge is supposed to do based on the facts and, you know, what the real, what justice should really look like. So I think that this ruling's huge. I think it's going to impact a lot of what comes in the future. And that's only a Ninth Circuit ruling, you know, saying that... Congress passed a law that says that the government's not supposed to spend money enforcing the DEA, Department of Justice, enforcing the federal marijuana laws where state laws say it's legal. That's great. So I think in the Ninth District, we're going to see some movement forward with the DEA backing off. But, you know, of course, like we talked about in the last segment, these cops still like to bust people. And I know this one DEA agent, he subpoenaed me once, and he pops up every once in a while in my life. He's on this local... DEA Narcotics Task Force for Marijuana, the Marijuana Task Force out of San Francisco. And I was trying to say, why are you guys still doing this? What is up? I mean, it makes no sense. And he basically said, look, uh, look at those guys. They like it. And he's pointing to the other DEA agents. They like this stuff, busting potheads, part of their ethos for so many years. 
So we still have this big ship that we have to turn, you know, with these police officers to get their attention somewhere else, something more valuable and away from cannabis. So I think that the ruling is going to be incredibly important, and now we have to get it trickled down to the actual police on the streets. And, of course, if upheld on appeal, the ruling would also halt federal action against the Harborside Health Center and the Marin Alliance for Medical Marijuana, which have also been targeted. You practically single-handedly, and I'm reading this part, developed and implemented standard operating procedures for procurement, product safety, patient relations, and business management operations that have been replicated by medical cannabis dispensaries around the nation. Debbie, here in Washington State, the success of recreational pot use reforms appears to have come at some cost to the medical marijuana industry and patient community. Do you think California is in danger of taking a similar route? Yeah, well, we've had the luxury of this kind of very loose medical marijuana law at the state level. Our state law doesn't mandate a lot, so it allows a lot of the regulations to come down at this kind of local or, or you know, at a lower level than state law. So our law becomes more flexible, I think, and it's been really nice. But I notice in this new state law that's coming out, things are getting more and more heavily regulated. And sometimes you got to wonder, is it really for the protection of, I don't know who, the community or the patients, or is it just to add layers of taxation and control? So yeah, somebody or is it protecting the tax, and, base, the tax base of, yeah. of recreational marijuana at the expense of patients? Exactly. Right. So... I think we are definitely at risk of over-regulation here, over-regulation built into state law, which is even harder to change. Right. You've been involved in so many kind of enterprises. You must be somewhat of an expert on Section 280E of the Internal Revenue Code that forbids cannabis businesses from deducting otherwise ordinary business expenses from gross income. Do you see any sunshine coming on the horizon? How much of an obstacle of doing business is 280E? Well, it's a huge obstacle if you've been open for a number of years because it, when they, when the IRS sort of changed the way that they were implementing these taxation laws for federal income tax on these medical marijuana dispensaries or cannabis businesses, they made it retroactive. So people who were open, you know, previous to the date got dinged with often gigantic old tax bills, you know, based on this new application of 280E. Going forward, it becomes very difficult also because there's not a lot of clarity on how you qualify to maximize the tax deductions that you are able to take. So you're kind of like flying blind trying to get the best you know, tax, taxation situation you could get. We don't have clarity. So it ends up being that in a cannabis business, about 25% of your normal business deductions are not going to be allowable. And it it creates two problems. One, it quashes interest of investors because they just think in the big picture, isn't there something going wrong with this 280E thing? And how can we make any money? So we can't really grow the cannabis industry if we can't get investors because everyone's nervous about profitability because the government's taking all the profit in the form of these insane taxation schemes. And then the other thing it does is it just means that we can't really run our businesses effectively. We can't afford to run our businesses when the taxation is so extreme. And, of course, you know, people have found a variety of ways to try to work around all that stuff, and it's really complex, and, and it's just ridiculous to have to operate in that environment. Fully agree. Yeah, I mean, it's just, just hopefully it's, it's on its way out. Debbie, grassroots shoe leather in the trenches activism, tip of the spear, as they say, is not only very hard work, it's very challenging on many levels. You've been involved as long or longer than I have. Do you have any stories of the scariest moments that you counted, encountered in your activism? Have you been busted or any, any wild stories of Oh, boy, all of the above. I, uh, the scariest thing was the raid at Oaksterdam here in Oakland when the feds 
raided Oaksterdam and Richard Lee's medical marijuana dispensary here in, Oakster, in Oakland. And what was scary about that was just how poorly ran the raid was. I mean, it's here in kind of the headquarters of the National Medical Marijuana Movement. It was birthed here in Oakland. So when the feds started raiding, the call went out and immediately maybe, I mean, hundreds of protesters turned out. And at the same time, there was an unfortunate incident happening in Oakland, but we had one of these big school shootings happen at a nursing school in Oakland across town. So the DEA, rather than maybe canceling the raid or realizing that it wasn't going to work out right, they were depending on the Oakland police to provide some kind of sub-coverage for them so that we didn't get a riot outside of the Oaksterdam location. The Oakland police bailed to deal with our local situation, and the DEA continued with their raid, and they barricaded themselves inside the dispensary with no exit and an angry mob outside and with no police officers on the outside at all doing crowd control. So it was a nightmare, a nightmare, I'll tell you. And when they finally, when their backup arrived in the form of a group of federal heavily armed federal officers who came bombing through the crowd, um, they ended up grabbing one of my friends, Jose, and just beating him up and taking him to jail on the spot. It was just an absolute nightmare. So the worst thing I ever experienced yet was a federal raid gone bad where the feds acted in such an irresponsible manner carrying out the raid that they started a riot on the streets of Oakland. It was awful. That sounds awful. I've got one minute left before I go to break. What advice do you have, Debbie, for the young social justice activist who wants to see personal achievements like yours? What are your personal driving values or standards, if you could boil them down in a minute? Wow. Well, right now, (laughs) I think, (laughs) how to do that? With so many cannabis businesses launching right now, we're going to be developing an enormous amount of money and our voices are going to get huge. Let's figure out how to use the money and use our voices to make social change. So if you're going to get involved right now, get involved in figuring out how to influence cannabis businesses to grow as socially responsible, community-minded organizations. I completely agree that the next wave is economic activism and it's going to be the most important because that's the implementation that's going to make it a part of everyday life for everybody. We are talking to Debbie Goldsberry and we're on Him Present on Cannabis Radio. We're going to take a quick pause, hear some message from our brave sponsors and then we'll be right back with another couple questions and we're going to slam it home. So stay tuned. Time to roll out for the people that let us Him Present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Dr. Dagger, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up! I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, more flavor. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Growing green to generate more green. Hello to all you happy herbalizers, smiling, trippy hippies, and everyone who believes in freedom and tolerance. This is The Grow Show, and I'm Kyle Cushman. From food to fuel, from remedy to resource. Welcome my guest, Ed Rosenthal, the guru of ganja. Let me ask you, right now I hear your lighter clicking. Are you smoking indoor or are you smoking sun-grown? 
What am I smoking? I'm smoking concentrate. <laughs> Way to get out of the answer there. So you're truly like the, the king, right? You just have, you just clap your hands and somebody brings you a bowl and you're all set, right? Mm, I wish that were the case. <laughs> the Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. We're back to Hemp Present, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. And we are back on Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio with Debbie Goldsberry, wrapping up the final segment. You've been involved in most of the leading reform organizations in the nation. There seemed to be a fairly kumbaya environment between reform groups and fellow activists for many, many years, as long as I remember. But now we're in this nuts and bolts stage of actual implementation, and the daggers are out, and the divisions are mounting. Legalization alters the fundraising landscape for reform groups, making scarce resources scarcer. And while we need to go in, for the lack of a better word, in for the kill right now, there's divisions and there is competition happening. Does that drain you as much as it does me? Are you immune to that stuff by now or does it still get under your skin? Oh, wow. Well, I'm down here in California and we have it <laughs> bad, let me tell you, with the battle for the, the initiative language. Oh, <laughs> right. Because what's happening is that everybody wants to be in charge of the language that makes it to the ballot in California. And so there's a big battle and there's a lot of mudslinging and it's completely unnecessary. Myself, I've had to pull back from it. I don't want to be a part of it. I figure that in this kind of an atmosphere, maybe all the arguing is actually what's needed. Maybe we need this dynamic tension. Maybe we have to argue it out. And maybe by arguing it out, we're going to end up with the best end product. And maybe the maybe the tension is helping us, you know, grow as people, being able to argue for what we want and having to fight for what we want. So, you know, I don't like it at all. If we can argue on the issues and not attack each other's credibility and integrity, boy, I think, you know, what what happens is is we have these battles, and then afterwards, you know, we've got people who work together for thirty years, won't talk to each other for the next ten years, and it doesn't hurt. It doesn't help the movement to have the division. Do you agree? I agree. It's kind of a mess, and it would be better if we could all get on one page. Unity, we should speak with unity, and unity should be one of our top values and one of our top goals. You know, we want to teach tolerance. We want to teach sharing. We want to teach kindness. We have to lead by example. So we're failing on that right now when it comes to figuring out things as basic as what's the language going to look like? How are we going to divide up the tasks and get this job done? I think that's the best place to leave it, Debbie. Such such well-spoken words. Thank you so much for being on Hemp Present with me today. I could talk to you for hours. How can people find out more about you and your good works? Definitely on Facebook, Debbie with a Y, Goldberry, and all of the other social medias. You can check out Magnolia Wellness at magnoliaoakland.org. Excellent. Debbie Goldsbury, thank you so much for being on Hemp Present with me. I look forward to hanging out with you again, hopefully at Hemp Fest. You have a great one. Thanks, Vivian. Bye. All right. That concludes that segment of Hemp Present. I'm going to get to a weekly feature, and that is the quote of the week, and it goes like this. The plain fact is that the planet does not need any more successful people, but does desperately need more peacemakers, healers, restorers, storytellers, and lovers of every kind. It needs people who will live well in their places. It needs people of moral courage willing to join the fight to make the world habitable and humane. And these qualities have little to do with success if we have defined it. And those are the words of David W. Or ecological literacy, educating our children for a sustainable world. That concludes this installment of Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio. Wait! Put down that dab rig. I want you to grab a pen and paper because I want to hear from you. 
email me at hempresent at gmail.com with suggestions, comments, and questions. Now get ready because I'm going to give that email again in a few seconds. I also want to thank my beautiful peeps in the control room, Brasco and Hannah, my handsome sponsors, and my good-looking producers. Join me next week for another Reefer Radio Rendezvous with some special Hempasapien. And for any of you red-eyed Jedis out there who operate a cannabis business, if you're smelling what we're selling here on Hemp Present, you can become a proud sponsor and get your brand in the hand of the man with a plan and be a sponsor of our message of freedom, reform, and personal responsibility because when it comes to prohibition, you have the right not to remain silent. Activism requires a voice, so find yours and speak up for justice because resistance is fertile. Until then... Stay strong, stand tall, and toke it easy, and don't forget to email me at hempresent at gmail.com. Turn up the music, maestro. I'm out. Marijuana! The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.